Hello, good evening, namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. This is a show where we explore the dynamics of spiritual awakening in our modern world. I'm your host, Eric Ajna. I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Jennifer Lynn. Hi, Jen. Hello. So great for you to be here with us today. And we have a really, really special, very special guest. Of course, all of our guests are special, but he is a marriage and family therapist with a private practice in Newport Beach. He's also the primary therapist for a really amazing treatment center in South Orange County. He works with a lot of different types of clients that battle with anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction. And he's gonna be talking today with us and we're just gonna explore the various uh, levels of psychology and how from his experience, it's impacted his life, but also the lives of other people. So I'd like to introduce Mr. Ryan Heapy. Hello. Thank Ryan. you guys for having me. How are you? Um, I'd also like to extend a, uh, a special thank you for, uh, yeah, two people that have been uh, um, incredibly special over my life. Like two of the, uh, the more uh, impactful people. I thank you, Ryan. I've ever come along. It's nice to see you on you. this side yeah. of the world. It's crazy how we live so many different types of lifetimes in one life mm-hmm. and the various different types of things that we get into, the things that we learn, and it's the various ways in which we show up for each other. And uh, for anybody that's listening, Ryan's been a personal friend uh, of us for a long time, and also Jen. We've all shared a lot of really wonderful, great memories and experiences together. And we've had numerous talks about this very subject and definitely wanted to bring him on to our show because he has a lot of really great insight and wisdom to share with us, but for our community as well. So he's going to go over... Um, just the dynamics of uh, spirituality as it pertains to his, you know, psych- his practice in psychology. And we wanted to kind of pick his brain on a few things, especially because we're in such a volatile time right now. Yeah. A lot of people are exploring different types of their spiritual selves. And uh, a lot of people in the community see it as this sort of radical awakening where we're having to uh, sit with ourselves and really, really go inward and introspect and, find out really what our positioning is here on our planet. So really great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So just just go ahead and get right into it. So you are a family therapist, right? So you get lots of different types of clients. And the reason why I wanted to make an emphasis on what's going on in the world, and I'm guessing you have a lot of people that are coming in that are battling with various types of relationship issues and things like that. So how has that been, that experience been for you? Um, you're talking kind of specifically around like just our, our current. Um, yeah. Well, we can time. talk about other things too, yeah. but I, I know that relationships just in general are a learning experience for a lot of people. So we can get into the dynamics of that, but you know, I know a lot of people, uh, because of, you know, the quarantine mm-hmm. and, and because of having to work remotely from home, yeah. there are a lot of couples that are spending a lot of time together that weren't spending a lot of time together before, yeah, Yeah. you know, and that can be with even platonic or non-platonic, you know, experiences with other people, maybe roommates that they live with. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are equipped to kind of handle that sort of work. And I imagine there are some that are having difficulty with it. So what's your experience been like in that realm? Well, so one of the things that uh, long before COVID or long before the quarantine or, you know, any of this kind of came up, that I've always kind of, you know, kind of beat the dead horse on getting out of isolation. You know, in general, I think our society is more isolated than we've probably ever been, you Mm -hmm. know. 
um, just, you know, kind of with the advent of technology, with um, you know, just technology in general, right? Like just take like the, the, the telephone, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, although it like helped put us in contact more, it gave us like one extra like buffer from like real connection, right. you know, and then, you know, add the computer in and then add social media and Facebook and Instagram and, um, and, and kind of like, as you go along, especially like during, like when social media and kind of like the iPhone in everybody's hands kind of, uh, combined together, you can see, you know, like depression just in our, um, mainly in our youth, kind mm. of just skyrocket. For sure. Um, people are like social voyeurs. They're just on their phones and watching other people's lives rather than calling or texting or, well, I guess lots of texting, but nobody calls anymore. Yeah. My phone never rings That's unless true. it's a customer. Right? I was talking about that the other day where it's like, whenever you hear a doorbell at the mm-hmm. front door, there's always this like, Oh, somebody, wait, wait, somebody what? found me. Wait, Somebody's wait, here. Yeah. This, this is crazy. Yeah. Same thing with the phone. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the phone. I mean, I converse with people as often as I can. I think there's different components to it. One is that people are just so busy, yeah. you know, yeah. and the other part is, yeah, there are people that lost that connection with, uh, you know, the physical proximity of somebody being there. And when we get a mm-hmm. call from somebody, we're just like, for sure. We, we yeah. go through that, that process of making the text message first. It's like, is it okay if I call you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to go through this mm-hmm. sort of approval process. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It's totally true. Social media absolutely has been a catalyst for a lot of that disconnect. You know what's so dead too is ringtones. Do you guys remember whenever you would pay money to download a song? So whenever somebody called you, your favorite song would play. Uh And now nobody calls. So that industry as a whole is like completely dead. I think people have gravitated back towards just the standard stock ringtones, right? Because back then it used to be like, you hear like some whatever top 40 song. Mm -hmm. Now it's just like standard, you know, ringtones. Yeah. So I think you're right. Absolutely. And then when you do, when you do get a call with a ringtone, you're like, huh. What year are you in? <laughs> you know, or the ring back tone? Is that what you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ring back tone. Uh, um, talking about text message a little more though, I think just you know that text message gives us, you know, and it, there's probably a positive aspect to it of getting a second to think before you respond, but yeah. it also gives us this big buffer from allowing vulnerability, right? Yeah. And and so you know, we're a conversation like this, right? Like we're, we're going to like explore maybe a handful of different topics. I'm in front of you guys. You guys might take the extra second to listen to me or, or maybe ask another question that you otherwise wouldn't, you know, over social media or, or through a text message, you know, where, you know, let's say I just, I reach out to you, Eric, and you know, you're in the middle of something and like, and it's just this like quick interaction that, I mean, it's great that we might connect, you know, briefly, but it, it really takes away, um, you know, I think what we truly need as humans, right? Like we give off a drug, Mm -hmm. you know, oxytocin when we're around others, you know, that that's good for our mental health, you know, that's good for our overall well being. Mm -hmm. that dopamine, that oxytocin. Yeah. 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 And and so, and so then, you know, and so again, this is still all pre COVID, right. That Mm -hmm. now we have, a, a platform where we can sit back, pipe in and judge people from afar, right? right? Like we can throw like a little shade comment like <laughs> once in a while on something right. we don't like, or, yeah. or we can not like something. And, and even just us putting something out there, right? Like we're, 
we're asking, you know, kind of for some judgment, you know, one yeah. way or the other. Not everybody, judgment right? or even validation, validation, yeah. attention. You know? Yeah, you know? I yeah. hear those stories about the the comments that people leave on YouTube. You know, it's very ruthless, and you're right. It, it takes the responsibility and the accountability out of something like mm-hmm. that. Completely, you completely, know? the anonymity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't realize how it's impacting people. You have children that are utilizing these sources too. You mm-hmm. know, so you have these what are they called armchair warriors mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are just going out there specifically looking to essentially troll yeah. people. Yeah, yeah it's know. horrible. Um, yeah. As this started to happen, I got a Twitter account and, you know, yeah. I've been off social media for over a year. So this was kind of a big step for me. And I was like, well, I've never had a Twitter account. Like, let me just check the pulse. I'm going to get on and read some stuff and kind yeah. of see if I want to get back on social media. Nope. 24 hours of that, like just the flood of negativity and mm. mean things that people say to each other was appalling and totally shocking to me yeah. like i can't i can't even believe that something like that is so popular right and it's, it's just like so yeah. much negativity at once yeah and it, that's the thing about social media especially the internet is it's so complex you could also use it for a lot of really amazing things sure you know sure you can use it for connection yeah you could use it you for can. connection yeah. but it's just like in anything right you're just trying to find a balance yeah and that pendulum keeping yeah. it from swinging too far mm-hmm. in each direction so i guess it becomes a problem when you start seeking it for validation mm-hmm. when you start seeking it for you know uh, some level of coping yeah you know, one of the, there's a couple of things I like to check in with clients, um, constantly and, and in regards to their phones is, you know, one, their pickups. So, mm-hmm. you know, how many, cause you can see on your screen time, like how many times you've picked up your phone throughout the day. Yeah. And, you know, some, I think mine's somewhere like two to 300 a day, yeah. which, which means like two to 300 times I've been completely removed from mm-hmm. the moment. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, but I've had people that are around the, like the 2000, 3000 times a day, Oh my God. you know? And so you're, you know, again, like we're not present. Right. Yeah. And then what we're doing when we're picking up the phone two to 3000 times a day is we're checking in on our ex or, you know, <laughs> we're, 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 we're checking in on our loved ones. And, and yeah. a lot of times it is, I, I think that's the underlying kind of, um, problem kind of with it is this is the judgment right and and judgment is one of those things i'm also really big on you mm. know reducing judgment you know right. the, the more that we can reduce judgment outwardly mm. you know which i think is a little easier you know we used to uh, at this place i used to work at we used to play a clip from the kardashians oh. and and we'd have clients do little check marks you know it was just like a two minute clip or one mm. and a half just like clip. just like a random clip from one of their shows yeah. or something yeah okay and and you'd see how many times you judged you know, the, the Kardashian. Oh, so it's like a little yeah. trigger. So whenever there was some judgmental moment, they just pressed this thing. Well, it was, it was for the clients to yeah. write down their own judgments yeah. as they were watching this. I see. And okay. so if that's what we're doing first outwardly, you know, that's what we're doing to our like friends and family and yeah. just strangers. Almost everyone kind of dials that up you know, significantly exponentially yeah. onto ourselves. Yeah. It's almost you know? like this where we're, because we're so used to technology, we want to start looking at human connection in this systematic way. Like you start, you were talking about uh, neurotransmitters and mm-hmm. these sort of pleasure centers that we have in the brain that are normally just sort of launched off when we are connecting with another person. But mm-hmm. I was reading also too, is that mm-hmm. you can get the same sort of rush from getting a text message from somebody getting some sort of like yeah. or follow on Instagram. But the interesting thing about that is that we carefully curate these things to come in 
a certain way mm-hmm. where we start to expect it and it almost becomes like a drug, you know, just like when it comes to like so. trauma bonding, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like even if you are engaging with somebody in a conversation on Facebook and it's a heated discussion mm-hmm. that I feel like in some ways, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost can create that same level of trauma bonding that we would be in a toxic relationship with other people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I think like, let me maybe like go back a little before the trauma to like even like the isolation that like it it further creates right is then it it keeps us keeps us in our corners Mm -hmm. you know and and then we don't have any reason to kind of go outside of our comfort zone um and so i think that's when like then your then your bond you know like especially as we're growing up and like this is the device that we're raised with now yeah you know that's the bond that we're creating And, and i i might be meandering a little here but like I, I think bonds are, are just in general the, um, I, I, I guess I can't speak on like how important I feel that they can be. And so like when we get into isolation and then like we get into like maybe substance abuse or something like that, like we've created these bonds around unhealthy coping mechanisms. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it takes a lot of work to like replace those bonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like you were saying about judgment, once you have a judgment about someone, it's very hard to erase that. It takes, they have to prove so many things to you after that in order for you to erase that initial judgment. So it's the same kind of bond. Yeah. That judgment becomes a bond. Yeah. Mm. So in your practice, do you, have you gotten a lot of couples that have entered into therapy um, where they've had issues with social media? Well, I don't work with a ton of couples, you know, okay. and, and I, maybe we'll go back to like, I think like the, the whole marriage and family therapy is, is the, you know, kind of the license, I guess that we get, yeah. you know, yeah. so I'm an associate marriage and family therapist right now. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, I probably see the vast majority, probably individuals, right? Mm. I, I do a good amount of couples work. Mm. Um, is social media at all in the fixture of that? It is. It is. And, and I guess I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking right now is like, is it the main thing or is it that there's, that there is no underlying maybe bond or there's no like real secure right. connection or right, attachment right. Right. between this couple. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so here, let me, I, I might be able to speak on this a little. So like one of the, um, there's the these experts in the the couples therapy world, which are, who are the Gottmans, mm-hmm. okay, and and one of the things that they say is like the absolute, you know, maybe worst thing you can do for your relationship is to have these what they call like negative comps, mm-hmm. and those are I think it's like negative comparisons or, yeah. um, uh, uh, and so when you're with somebody and you have kind of this out in a way, which is like maybe like there's somebody better out there for me or, you know, or if my partner were better at doing this or um, it's just leaving this like back door open Mm -hmm. that I can always go out that hatch and just go find somebody else Mm -hmm. instead of sitting here and working on this relationship. Right. right? Um, And so, you know, to bring that back to social media, right. Social media gives us this like constant, back door to these negative comps, you know? And so, I mean, 
look at like the influencers on social media, right? Mm -hmm. So many of them are models, yeah. you know, or just, or good looking people. And, and I think yeah. it goes both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, women's feeds could be, you know, a handful of good looking guys or, right. or maybe not even, you know, and, and well, vice versa with guys and other women. Right. But it's, it's also not just like the good looking person. It's the good looking lifestyle, right. you know, right. as well that like, maybe I could, um, maybe I can jump out of this relationship and, and, uh, and my whole life will be better. It will right. look more like this picture of, you know, of that John Doe's posting here. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so I really get out there and start yeah. traveling and making this money and attracting this kind of woman and doing that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we're creating these really impossible standards for ourselves. Impossible. We started standards. with, uh, yeah. you know, these little girls that are looking up to a lot of these magazine models. So it's almost mm -hmm. like all across the spectrum now, yeah. you know, if there's a tag for it on Instagram, people have searched for it and yeah. there's this drive and this want for people to constantly almost get into this sort of one-upmanship where it's like, we always want it to be better than yeah. the last post or yeah. to right. look better than the last person that had done this sort of, especially in that influencer realm. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine unconsciously or even, you know, that we start getting used to this level of conditioning, this level of always being subject to yeah. this type of media and this type of content. And I always come back to, you know, it, it just depends on how you approach something like that. So if you were completely aware and confident that this is the game that's going on, you can engage without getting completely immersed into it. Mm -hmm. But it's hard not to just in the same thing, in the same way people get used to or desensitized to various levels of violence on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing that I fear sometimes is that we become so desensitized to this type of thing that we start yeah. to identify it as one being a part of reality. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's just sort of it, you know? And I think as long as we're in working with social media and we're flipping through a lot of those photos, it is sort of like this, this, this thing that happens where we start kind of feeding into it. Yeah. It almost no, becomes like a drug because sure. we are getting that sort of like that fix. I think another component is that, and you can probably speak on this too, where it's like we we aren't as used to being alone with ourselves now. Oh, no. Right? Oh. And this yeah. sort of becomes a crutch. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, this the, the quarantine thing has become a really good testament to the fact that people have trouble with introspecting and going mm -hmm. within and, and really taking time to spend with themselves. Yeah. Although they still have that at their disposal. Maybe it affects more interpersonal relationships but that's just a thing is that like as long as people are getting this fix of being able to pick up their phone and get lost for a little bit mm -hmm. they'll never have to really check in to see how they're really doing right you know what i mean you're dropping so here's what i think kind of happened with the quarantine right is yeah. at the beginning we were all still distracted there was chaos right yeah. like you know we could turn on the news for a while and and we could still zone out for a bit right yeah. but then as it kind of went along right like week after week the distractions got old mm -hmm. you know and and then you were left right to yeah. to your own you know to to looking in the mirror or, or whatever that might be yeah. um and so again that's where like you know isolation is is so detrimental right because now we're when we might be able to like get together with some friends and get some of this shit 
out of our head, like, yeah. you know, because we're telling ourselves these real negative stories or, you know, so, you know, we're here and we're scrolling through and, and this guy's doing so much better than us, even during quarantine, right? And so I've got this like terrible, irrational story going on about how awful my life is, yeah. um, you know, and so instead of like getting out and getting some support, right, we kind of just like double down further mm -hmm. on that like isolation and and mm -hmm. that's when i think we get into real trouble mm -hmm. so what do you think are some ways that somebody that is in isolation to cope with you know this various levels of change that they're having to undergo because i know a lot of couples that are you know learning a completely different way of connecting because of this and i see it in both ways one from the spiritual dimension it's a good thing because mm -hmm. you are you know creating a space and opening a space with your partner to connect in a completely different way where of course maybe you're just not as many distractions yeah. but you're so intimately close with somebody mm -hmm. and you get to know them on a completely different level you know no matter who you are as long as you're spending that much time with somebody there are going to be things that come up you know so what would you say uh, to somebody that is either alone in their apartment struggling with all of the changes that are happening in the world or what would you say to a couple that is struggling to maintain equilibrium in this pandemic yeah um well i think to the individual you know i, I think first it's which it's this kind of double-edged sword of <laughs> crazy okay um because I think the real answer is to get out and like meet people, mm -hmm. right? You know, I, I think it's it's to create new connections. It's to grab support. It's to reach out. It it, it might be just getting out of being uncomfortable, yeah. you know, um, because a lot of times I think that's just, we just get comfortable. You know, like depression is one of these things that like seeps in, you know, you mm -hmm. don't realize, you know, until you're like knee deep that you, you know, you, you spent a weekend in bed, right? Yeah. Or, you know, or you just binged like, you know, two or three different shows and watch 30 episodes straight. Right? Right, right. But then like that week passes by and the next thing you know, you did it again the next weekend. And, mm. and then the next thing you know, you might be calling out sick, you know, or something yeah. like that. And so, it, you know, so that becomes as, as awful and as uncomfortable as that may seem, right. That now becomes comfortable. Mm. And so it's, it, it's kind of like, there's this great Ted talk on getting out of uncomfortability and like pulling the e-brake mm -hmm. on some of these things and making decisions within like the first five seconds, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes it's just, it's having that thought of like, okay, I need to do something to get out of this mindset, mm -hmm. you know? And I need to like, I, I need to, cause I think all of us, you know, we do have some support system, right? Like we do have, even one or two friends, right. you know, and, and the positive thing about social media is that if you don't, right, there's some great like resources out there, right. you know, um, you know, if you're struggling with substance abuse, you know, the great thing about AA is it's got this amazing community mm. built in with it. Right. You know, there's meetups, you know, for right. every, you know, different thing you could ever imagine. Mm. Right. You know, I think now there's like discord, which is kind of another type of thing. Right. Um, but I think like, again, like we have to, we can't just leave it at that, right? Like we have to make that step. And and now that I think that things are opening up, I think we have to, you know, while taking precaution and while being safe, of course, mm -hmm. you know, but like we have to go out and, and get connected again. Right. You know, I, I think it's, it's connection. There's a, um, uh, it's like the longest study ever, ever, you know, uh, 
done, I guess. Uh, I think it was started in like 1943. It's like this. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's, it's this Harvard study, and I think there's like four different uh, directors of it. Mm-hmm. And they've interviewed everybody from, you know, uh, people in real low socioeconomic status yeah. to, I think, a president at one point. Yeah. And they followed them, you know, their whole lives, you know, and asked them like just all sorts of different kind of like bio it's a TED Talks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it TED Talks? Uh-huh. Was it one of those ones where it was like, you know, uh, what are some of the the things that you learned from people throughout their lives at the very end of their lives? Like, did they end up doing an interview with these people where they talked about like, you know, like stuff like that? I don't know if that was one. It was one. Maybe something different. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure. I, I think I've seen a couple of different things of it, and I, I know I've done a little research on it yeah. as well. And um, and I think now I've just kind of like told this story long enough that like it, you know, the whole memory <laughs> yeah. um, is, is different. But um, but the the greatest predictor of a long, happy, healthy, physically healthy life, right, right is is connection, is the quality of our connections. Right. And on the flip side of that, probably the greatest predictor of poor mental health, depression, anxiety, uh, substance abuse, yeah. you know, is isolation. You right. know, I, I mean, really. And um more proof. Love is the highest vibration, yeah. right? And that makes sense. Yeah, I remember absolutely. hearing a, a study, the the Rat Park study. Remember that? Oh yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, Johan Hari. Yeah, yeah. And it was basically like you had this rat that was addicted to heroin. They did this test a while back. I don't know exactly what date it was, where they where they used a rat in order to determine the how addict how addictive heroin is, mm-hmm. and then they sort of concluded it at that. You know, mm-hmm. it's addictive, and then they revisited that study by yeah. taking a rat in a cage with a droplet of heroin. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course they became addicted to the heroin. But what they didn't do is put, I mean, at the, the original study, what they did in this one was they took that same rat, put it in yeah. a cage with other rats with that same droplet of heroin and the rat stopped actually going to the heroin. Yeah. Wow. So it's like that human connection, that human element is I think a huge part of that. Yeah. I mean, even taking a step outside of people that aren't, subject to being depressed, right? Mm-hmm. This has been really hard for even mentally strong people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super hard. The The whole quarantine fatigue is so real yeah. and having a routine. I know personally for me has been my saving grace, like not to lay in bed for an extra 30 minutes or an hour to mm-hmm. get up at the time that I normally get up, take a shower, put some makeup on, not be in my sweatpants all day. Cause it's so tempting to do that. Right. To just be like a total bum slob and yeah. walk around the kitchen and mosey yeah. around and eat everything in the refrigerator <laughs> and drink a bottle of wine every night. I mean, the, the yeah. COVID-19, 19 pounds has yeah. been mm. so real, you know? So right. it's been really I think hard. It went to COVID-25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and cooking at home too. Like I, I'm, yeah. we cook at home so much more now because yeah. we're kind of like a little bit nervous about ordering food. Yeah. So, um, that hasn't helped my weight gain either. Yeah. 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 It's easy to get to, to, to fall into that. Absolutely. I, I, as far as how it, it's impacted me, you know, I, I, I've developed my own sort of practice of sitting alone with myself, mm-hmm. but this sort of like put it into perspective in an entirely different way. You know what I mean? Because there's always that feeling when you're alone uh, where I think for a lot of people, they feel that FOMO of like, okay, well, should I stay home? There's an entire world out there doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like you should be out there. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, maybe you should be. But in this situation, I use it as an opportunity to really come to terms with a lot of the conditioning that 
I know I'm being subject to on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, it changed the way that I look at my everyday life because one, for everybody, all of a sudden we're not able to do the things that we want to do, you know, going out and visiting friends mm -hmm. and, you know, going through the motions of going to work or going and seeing your family, you know, that's impacted a lot of people in that way where it's like, you know, they're, they're the risk of their health, especially when you're an older you know, like my yeah. parents are older, is very real. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an interesting thing hearing your mother say like, hey, I can't come and see you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Right. so there's this there's this feeling, and Marion Williamson actually talked about it in this talk that you can find on YouTube, um, right around the time where it sort of started, where it's like we're going through, each individual person goes through a sort of dark night of the soul individually, mm -hmm. right? Where that spiritual awakening uh, comes out of that. But mm -hmm. we are, as a collective, as a collective force of humanity moderating through our planet are going through this collective dark night of the soul where yeah. we're having to, you know, really go inwards. And you could almost see it as a form of divine grace because mm -hmm. had it not been for this, we would have maybe continued down a sort of like toxic path mm -hmm. of either taking certain things for granted or, you know, uh, not showing up in different areas of our life where we should be paying attention, you know? So I use this uh, really as an opportunity to check in with myself and yeah. see like, what is it that has come up for me during this time? And I know that you work with a lot of mindfulness type of practice and mm -hmm. dialectical behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And I've always actually been really interested in how you integrate that because those are obviously more Eastern spiritual practices. Yeah. How do you integrate that in with, your work with therapy itself. Yeah. Well, just like we were talking, right. Um, about judgment, yeah. right. Like I, th I think, uh, which is a, you know, I think getting out of judgment is kind of like a, a bit of an Eastern philosophy itself. Right. Like, right. It, you know, the, the less judgment we have on, on each other, on ourselves, mm -hmm. the greater their compassion goes right. up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, gratitude, right. Mm -hmm. Um, being present. Okay. So, um, I, I guess like, Depression and anxiety, right? I, th I think are, are primarily rooted in, you know, the thoughts, right? right. Like kind of whether right. that's like negative thought patterns, um, racing thoughts, right. you name it, right? Like it's really like, um, you know, and, and I know depression is is uh, kind of a different diagnosis than anxiety and it's uh, characterized a bit more by, you know, like the lack of wanting to do things. Right. But I also think it's, it's, a, it's a mindset, you know, right. it, like we get stuck, you know, in right. this, these negative thought patterns. Right. And so what would be one of the greatest things you could do for somebody who's having racing thoughts or stuck in a negative thought pattern, right? Yeah. Rivet to the now, like, right. like come be present. Right. right. Like I think it's real hard to be anxious mm -hmm. or even to be depressed if you're living in the moment. Right. right? So, you know, so I think all of those things, um, so I guess kind of like the way I even like look at therapy, I think with somebody who's dealing with anxiety is, you know, probably to first kind of look at like, what are the things we can control and we can't control? So kind of like, let's get out like some of these maybe like irrational kind of uh, thoughts that might be occupying mm -hmm. our head. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of like changing the perspective, you know, first of all around, you, you know, so let's go with like coronavirus, like we were, all of us were worried about a million things that we couldn't control in this, right? right? Like you name it, right? Like we, 
we couldn't control it. Let me back up. Like there are some things we could control, right? Like we could control our safety. We could control maybe if this virus was going to get us at certain places. And so we could, we could take certain actions to, to protect those things. Right. Right, right. But after that, like so much of it is out of our hands, right? right. You know, like it's, it's kind of up to the universe. And right. so, so first it's, it's kind of seeing that perspective, like, are you worrying about a million different things that like we have no control over that are kind of just occupying our mind right, right now? Right. Um, and then, you know, another kind of um, way to kind of work, work mindfulness in is like, you know, I, I view, um, meditation and mindfulness kind of as like, you know, not only is it an, an amazing, I think, spiritual practice, um, but it's also like mental training. Right. You know, it's, it's this process of getting our mind to go, you know, to notice these thoughts. Because I think first we have to like separate ourselves right. from those, you know, from the like snowboard tracks and snow, right? right? Like we keep going down these thoughts like mm. over and over and over again, right? Yeah. Um, and so the first thing we got to do is like notice that and be mm. aware of, of, you know, what our, our thinking is kind of doing for us or, you know, how it might be lying to us or, you know, right. or the stories that we're telling. Mm -hmm. um, so then once we notice that, right, then we can, then we can work on kind of slowing that down mm -hmm. or um, becoming less attached right. to it, right? Um, and so I think, you know, really there's, there's, you know, just like there's weight training, you know, and we're able to like flex a muscle and see, you know, mm -hmm. see the weight go up and down, yeah. you know, when we're noticing thoughts and then riveting to the now or noticing thoughts and then watching our breath, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is that kind of same, like, like lifting of mental weights mm -hmm. of being able to catch ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, all of this kind of, we can do that with emotions. We can do that with, you know, once we get really good at meditation, you can do that with pain. You can do that with sensations. Yeah. You know, you start to realize like all of this, is um, just coming up for us in consciousness, right? You know? And so, the better we get it, having a powerful mind, having a strong mind, yeah, the better we get it, like having control over, you know, right. all that stuff, over yeah. those emotions. Yeah, yeah. It, I get this question a lot because a lot of people that know me know that I meditate, and they're like, "Well, mm -hmm. I'd like to start meditating, but I don't know how. How do you meditate?" <laughs> Uh, do you get that question? Do you hear that I a do. lot? I do. Yeah. yeah. So whenever you're teaching someone and you're talking about meditation and mindfulness, how do you describe how to meditate? Well, um, so I, today I had um, kind of like a, maybe like a crisis situation that was unfolding. Um, and I wanted to get the person out of their head. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... And, and this is also my go-to for teaching people meditation, okay? Mm -hmm. It's to first just, like, slow down and, like, let's, like, take that deep breath, right? And we've all heard this, right? Yeah. Breathe in, breathe out, right? Watch the breath, sure. Okay. But a lot of us, we aren't getting told why we're doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, right. we're just going through these motions. and Or, or somebody tells you to just be quiet for 20 right. minutes. Yeah. And all that does is gives you greater anxiety. Right? Yeah. Like, just yeah. shut up for 20 minutes. Okay, You're like, I'm, am I doing this right? What am I yeah. thinking? But I'm thinking about something. I'm not supposed yeah. to be thinking about anything. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's the thing. That's sort of like that feedback loop that it happens even in the, the, the spiritual community where that question comes up. Okay, well, how do I meditate? Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you acknowledge when you're operating from awareness and when you're not. And then so when that question to how I meditate comes in, you automatically know that the ego is speaking. 
mm-hmm. right? Because it's like to, to reach meditation. And there's this Eastern spiritual teacher called Judo Krishnamurti that talks a lot about this, where it's, it's like at a certain point, you know, you start bypassing a lot of the strategies involved in meditation because you realize that when you're working and operating from your most integral self, you are just naturally in meditation all the time. But it doesn't come as a sort of falling into meditation. It's just more of like once you've released all those concepts of what it means to meditate, you are naturally in that awareness, that presence that we talk about a lot in meditation. And he says, when people ask him like, well, how do you meditate? And he's like, you should be in meditation. When the spirit is operating from its most authentic place, it is always in meditation. It's only us who take ourselves out of it. Yeah. You know, from uh-huh. those concepts, these ideas of like what it means to be in meditation. Because you're right. Whenever you try and sit down and somebody tells you to quiet your mind, there's this dialogue that happens in your mind that all of a sudden starts to go, Well, am I being quiet enough? Is this quiet? How do I know when I'm being quiet? And then that's what do sort I want for thing, dinner? That sort of yeah. thing happens. <laughs> and then Alan Watts, um, he kind of puts it in a really beautiful way. He's just like, you, you don't need to quiet your mind. Your mind will quiet itself. Mm-hmm. Just leave it alone. You know? I like that. That's yeah, cool. I like it. I, I don't, yeah. and, and so I, I, that may be where, like, I feel like if somebody were to just hear that, right? Like yeah. one of my clients, okay, because I'm getting people who are, you know, with severe anxiety, um, you know, maybe depressed or, or maybe in a great place, but if, what was it like if if don't quiet the mind it'll just quiet itself yeah because yeah. the whole thing is is like the, the questions that arise the questions that come up when it comes to how we approach meditation are automatically a result of the, they're this sort of result of the ego wanting to create a process out of something that fundamentally doesn't have a process yeah it's almost mm-hmm. like somebody telling you how do you be human mm-hmm. right you know what i mean and i i totally get the the clients that you work with there are some people that just need a process yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. why we have things like mantras and there are meditative um courses and practices that are very helpful i even listen to them and i even do them yeah but it's like once you get to a point where you realize that awareness is where you're operating from you start to see any sort of question that arises in when it comes to meditation as being sort of like arbitrary in a way because you're like you know, like you're, you're, you're realizing that it isn't a process. It's something that you just intrinsically are. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I feel like whenever you're at a peak of anxiety and you're trying to like calm your mind and get into that space, I personally, cause I kind of experienced this, I had a real shit job. (laughs) And, um, so I was doing outside sales and it was for a product that just wasn't that good and it was super expensive Mm. and uh, the feedback that i was getting over and over every time i would talk to someone and have a conversation was overwhelmingly negative so by the end of the day i would just be so exhausted and like ridden with anxiety because your livelihood and your paycheck depends on you you know convincing the person that you're talking to that this is worthwhile right right? you really need it Yeah. yeah so my anxiety is at like a 10 and sometimes at lunch Rather than going to eat, I would get in my car and meditate because I started to feel anxious and I was like, oh, oh shit, you know, <laughs> and I would have to, I would have to repeat a mantra in my mind because I wasn't able to sit in silence. Mm-hmm. And I think for, is that what you, is that what you do? You tell them just to pick a word and repeat it. Um, so the first thing that I do my favorite thing, you know, that uh, like I've, I feel like I've tried, you know, hundreds of different like mindfulness exercises, maybe thousands at this point that I, um, in just, um, 
like exercises with clients in groups, you know, um, as well as like really, really trying to get clients to understand meditation and why we do it. And so what I've found is, um, my favorite go-to is, is this mindful eating exercise that I do. And, and so, because we can physically, you know, we can have this cup in front of us. And so I ask clients to kind of first, you know, look at this thing, like you've never seen this before in your life, you know? And so you're, you're really, you know, looking at it with a, a new lens, you know, and then I want you to like feel it, right? Like, and so tune in, you know, be aware of the sensations in your hand, right? You know, and, and also I'll get them, you know, to kind of do like a pace breathing at the beginning to kind of slow everything down, right? And so now we're, now we're, we're tuned into the sensations in our hand, we're tuned into touch, we're, we're visualizing it, right? And so I, the reason I like to get something to eat is because then we can, we can smell it, right? right? And so then we get our, our sense of smell, activated mm -hmm. right as we're we're breathing in and and so like now we're like slowly almost starting to become one with this thing in a right. lot of ways right mm -hmm. and then and then like put it up to your ears you know so like you can hear it too mm -hmm. and so almost by this point right and I, I do this in a much slower process whatever shit you might have had in your head is is gone mm -hmm. in a lot of ways right like yeah. now you're just completely tuned in to right. this thing that's in front of you right. and and you may still be distracted and you know and notice the distraction like come back you know just wave at it and and then come back to this thing that's in your hand right and then you know i want you to like really like like um turn your awareness and your attention to the sense of your mouth right because mm -hmm. this is the last one like we we've missed here mm -hmm. you know and so you really like hone in on like taste before you before you put this thing in your mouth right mm -hmm. and so then you know now let's get like all of these senses tuned in at once and so it's really hard to be thinking of something else, you know, right. to be thinking of, uh, you know, what you're going to be doing after this session when you're like just intently focused on yeah. this thing in front of you. Right. And, then, yeah. Yeah. and that's just like awareness, right? Yeah. You have a sip, right. Yeah. And now like, now not only are you, all of your senses been, been honed in on this one thing, mm -hmm. but then I got to show clients that, not only were we just like figuratively playing with this thing, trying to become one with it. Mm. Right. But now it really is one with us. Right. right. Like it turned into nutrients and, yeah. and now it's in our body. And yeah. yeah. Um, and so usually if I can get somebody to kind of sit through like 10, 15 minutes of doing that and, and often, you know, I, I swear to God, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me, I can't meditate, man. It's a joke. I don't like it. Yeah. It's not for me, you know, mindfulness, you know, all this BS and, and it's become so cliche. Right. right. But it, it, I can't tell you the amount of people that like doing this one exercise has completely, you know, kind of blown their minds as to finally maybe like slowing down some of those thoughts mm -hmm. or getting out of that negative thought pattern, you know? Yeah. And so then, you know, then they realize like, wow, maybe I can like just a little, like turn down this anxiety, you know, or, mm -hmm. or maybe I can like stop a panic attack before it comes. Yeah. That reminds me of a, um, a story that I'd heard um, from Alan Watts. I, I uh -huh. really into his work, but he was talking about, you know, whenever you are sick, like if you have a, a, an upper respiratory infection, well, he the, the reason why this, this talk came into be is he was talking about when an organ in the body is working correctly, you don't notice it, mm -hmm. right? We don't notice our digestive tract sorting through our food, right? We don't, for the most part, we don't 
notice how hard our hearts are beating. And um, that's a good thing because mm-hmm. there's a sort of this trust involved and the body has these physiological functions that are taking care of us and we don't got to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But what it becomes problematic is when, you know, we have uh, maybe an upper respiratory infection and we get sick. And obviously that's sort of like an alarm system. Our body's telling us that there's something wrong. And when there's something wrong, it's all that we notice, yeah. right? It's like you have a sore throat, you feel it in your body. Your body has this way of expressing that to you. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that was really powerful for me is when he started talking about the mind in the same way. Mm-hmm. When your mind is operating the right way, you don't notice that it's moving. Like, yeah. because you're too busy being present with, like you say, the glass, totally. right? Yeah. But he's saying when the mind isn't operating correctly, it's all you hear. Oh. It's all you notice. Yeah. So he's saying, especially even when you concentrate and you focus on your hearing too much, you can create that sort of tinnitus. Mm-hmm. Whenever we put our attention too much in any given area, it could be internal, external, we end up sort of getting in the natural, getting in the way of the natural flow of life. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just really interesting because when you start looking at your mind, at least from my experience, as an organ mm-hmm. and not actually being who you are, that separation between the awareness and the actual organ becomes so much more clear when you're operating from where, and almost even from my experience, you almost have to believe that there's something other than thought that functions like a spirit mm-hmm. because the spirit can operate from that awareness. And then once I got deeper into that awareness, I started realizing that the ego and the mind is just a tool that we just don't use correctly yeah. a lot of the time. It's like when you try and ask really, you know, profound fundamental questions to the mind, we act like it would know the answer to it, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't, you know? And I think that's what the spiritual sort of journey really encompasses is realizing that no amount of, you know, seeking or contemplation in the mind can point you directly to it. It's like the finger pointing to the moon, but it's still not the moon. It can get you kind of close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then there's like the certain point where you fall into awareness and you realize that the present moment is really the meaning to all of that. Yeah. And you and I get that. Right. And Jen gets that. Um, But for somebody who, you know, has been in their bed for two or three years with thoughts, right. Just telling them how awful they are with, you know, going on social media and looking at how much quote unquote better everybody else is in their heads telling them that. Right. Like um, trying to understand to get to that, you know, is is, um, because I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, I think, being completely present, you know, um, in a sense, like enjoying this moment, right? Even now, like talking to you guys, right? And I do this all the time with my clients, like I'll get distracted too. Like, yeah. you know, I'm thinking about like dinner or yeah. any number of things, right? Yeah. Like yeah. a vacation, just mm-hmm. getting out of the office, it's late, yeah. you know, um, and so I lose that connection that I'm having, right? And then I'm mm-hmm. doing my clients a disservice, you know. Right. Um, it, we're doing both of ourselves a disservice. Yeah. I'm not satisfied because I'm wanting to be somewhere else, yeah. right? And then I'm not there for them because right. I'm wanting to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I'm present and if I'm truly connected to right. what they're saying, if I'm mm-hmm. truly turned in, you know, then mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not worried about where I got to go after this, mm-hmm. you know, and they're getting, you know, in my opinion, I think, you know, a, a very in tune, you know, attentive, aware therapist, mm-hmm. um, 
sometimes, you know, you throw out all the different techniques that we might learn. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of times we just want somebody to pay full attention to us, Mm -hmm. you know, to truly be attentive and listen Mm -hmm. and, you know, and just there for us, you know? And I can't tell you how many therapists I've been to that aren't there, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I get it, you know, but, but this is kind of full circle going back to why mindfulness meditation is so important for therapy and mental health. And Mm -hmm. um, because I kind of like you, I I think the key is, you know, to enjoying life and the meaning of life and all that stuff is Mm -hmm. to just be here now. So those people that you have that, that come to you for this type of guidance, do they have any sort of ground in spirituality? Do you, do you think that from providing those type of practices to them that they start to build or start to inquire more on that sort of dimension? That's an interesting question. Um, I think in general, uh, I think our society is is probably lacking a lot of spirituality. I, I think, um, you know, say what you will about, you know, religion not quite being what it was. You know, I, I think that has um, also hurt a lot of people's, you know, path or guidance, you know. Um, so I think it, I, don't, I don't ever kind of once in a while I might mention like this is you know maybe a bit more of an eastern philosophy but you know but bear with me because it really has to do with your mental health you know like I'm not teaching you Buddhism you know I don't know enough about Buddhism to teach anybody you know that's like an art in itself Uh, because you're trying to reinterpret like an eastern spiritual practice in a practical way so mm -hmm. that you know, it can help them. Cause I understand there are a lot of people from all different types of spiritual dominations. Like how do you, you know, you couldn't approach a Christian with a Buddhist sort of philosophy. I mean, you could, if they were open, but I can imagine in your practice, you have to really tread carefully. Well, and that's the beauty of DBT, Mm -hmm. the the dialectical behavioral therapy that I practice is that Oh, an amazing woman named Marsha Linehan took the time to kind of figure all that out yeah. and, and put the practical pieces, you know, that, are, that pertain to our mental health, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of took them out of Eastern philosophy and, and placed them, you know, into a way that you can teach these things as skills, mm-hmm. you know, to, so that they're life skills and, and yet we can still um, respect their, their spirituality, religion, et cetera. Right. Um, Granted, you know, sometimes as you're going through this, you know, and, and I think just as you go through therapy in general, right, if you're doing, if you're making growth, you're, you might find that like, okay, I've figured this piece of life out. I've got a relationship that's going really well, I'm making money, you know, like things are great. Like my mental health is good too, mm-hmm. you know, then that last piece might be like, oh, you know, that's my, my spirit yearning for Right. You know, something extra to right. You know. right. It's almost like it's like becomes a catalyst for the, the that type of thing to blossom. Perfect word. Yeah, yeah. You know? a catalyst. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And isn't DBT the only thought to be effective treatment for people with borderline personality disorder? Because um, I don't know. I know they don't really respond to drugs, and yeah. they don't respond to just traditional therapy, right? I I wouldn't. It, it's the most used, I, I think probably the most researched, uh, evidence-based to help people with borderline personality disorder. So what do you yeah, think BPD. that is? Um, what, why, why it helps so much yeah. or, yes. um, I, I think kind of like what I was just saying to Eric here that like this, you know, Marsha Linehan figured out a way, you know, to take 
you know, some of these um, really powerful practices and, and put them into a, a therapeutic context. Right. Right. And so, um, and so at times, right, we may not even be trying to help clients gain insight, right? Like some, sometimes insight is just so difficult at the moment. Mm-hmm. And when I say insight, like maybe the client knowing that things are off, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. like we're just like those snowboard tracks in the snow, right? Like we are so tunnel vision into our depression or, or right. thought pattern, whatever it might be, right. right? That it's so hard to see any other like trauma and perspective. Right. Yeah. And so DBT, you know, can sometimes just give you those skills, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I think of like how DBT um, is different from maybe any other person that would come in for, for therapy from my experience, just researching things like NPD and, borderline personality disorder like these are things that are more or less really like hardwired and conditioned at a really really young age right so you're uh, trying to approach a complete like system of thought and how somebody yeah. functions and opposed to specific issues that somebody's dealing with maybe like depression mm-hmm. you know and you know i wanted to ask you also too about you know narcissism is a huge kind of red flag and thing that you you know, probably hear a lot of, especially because of the fact that we have social media. Yeah. Right. So how do you, what are your thoughts on how social media sort of leads people down that path? Or is it more of a a place that attracts that type of behavior or that type of person? So you you might not like my answer here, but like, I I don't know. I'm definitely not the narcissism expert. And and it might be for a couple of reasons, which might be interesting (laughs) is that, it, at least from what I've seen, right, in, in yeah. doing therapy for, you know, over five years now, um, that I have not gotten a lot of narcissists, yeah. you know, NPD, into well, into yeah. therapy, right? Yeah. And, right? And I think maybe that's uh, just the you luck gotta, of the draw. You got to get you know? into therapy first, though. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah right? Or that, exactly. Yeah. Or, or yeah. that. They don't feel like they need therapy because they're hard, perfect. Yeah. Ask yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. hard to tell somebody to go to therapy when you uh, don't need it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. When you're perfect. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask so. you a little bit um, about uh, how how is, I mean, I'm guessing you deal with like borderline personality disorder as well, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that sort of expose itself or, or sort of like, start to develop as you're a child from your experience? Does it have to do with family trauma? Does it have to do with, um, you know, not getting validation as a kid? Um, you know, and, and I'm by no means probably the, the, full, the expert here on, on this, but um, I, I believe a lot of it has to do with maybe constant chronic invalidation. Yeah. Okay. And so I think um, the way that this plays out, right. And of course, like, all of us go through probably invalidation as a child. Yeah. Right. And so I, I don't, it's hard to maybe say what leads to a, a full disorder. And, right. and again, let me, let me also stop there. Like I really don't like disorders. I don't right. like right. stigmas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like, you know, um, uh, for the most part, they're, they're a collection of symptoms. Right. Right. And, and that's it. You know, right. um, I, I like to focus on the individual or right. anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to that, and, and I think just because whether it's like true borderline personality disorder or just 
we might all have some like borderline symptoms, right? Yeah. Like tendencies. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. the DSM is like that spectrum, right? So everybody has various levels of. of oh, yeah. Yeah. Read the DSM. You think you have everything in that book. You're like, Oh my God, that's me. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> it's like researching symptoms on the internet. of yeah. like A it's, cold. It's not that much different. Yeah. You, you know, I, uh, it's really sorry not. to say, yeah. but so it's almost yeah. like as long as you're a part of our society, which I, for the most part it kind of conditions people to operate from, you know, different levels of that. Like Jen said, I, I think, you know, like we could all go through the DSM and find 10 disorders that we could self-diagnose and, and fit ourselves in, right? Like mm. it's, there, there's such a wide array of, of diagnoses and, and really there's something for everything. And in, in my opinion, I'm yeah. sure I'll catch shit. And for those that are for, listening. No, no, hundred percent. And that's what a diagnosis is. All it is, is a collection of symptoms. Yeah. Right. That's it. So, yeah. you know, you can be one diagnosis and not have one symptom and be something completely different, right? Yeah. So and for those that I are listening, the, forget. The, the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistics Manual. Is that, you got it. Is that yeah, the thing, that's right? it. And yeah. this, this is sort of a, a guide that I think most therapists use in order to try and determine how far into the spectrum of either narcissism or you know, borderline personality sort of they are. And that's like you in the title says it all right. Statistics. Like this yeah. is a statistic. This is a collection, a group of people that have these same symptoms, which is where we came up with this specific diagnosis. Right. So a lot of people get so hung up on a diagnosis of yeah. something. And I'm like, all that is, is a collection of symptoms. Yeah. Relax. Right. Like, and I love that you use that as symptoms because I steer away from having to tell somebody that they have an illness or, or, or a disease. Right. So I read this book, by Marion Williamson a while back called From Tears to Triumph. Mm -hmm. And it was basically her response to the over-prescribing of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors to children, right? Obviously that's a problem because there are various levels of, you know, uh, depression and things like that that most children go through as a child. It's part of their sort of development. But when we prescribe, you know, SSRIs to a child and tell them that there's something wrong with them, they never quite get at it. And they have this sort of like this, they end up developing around this idea that there's something wrong with them. And all she really just says is that depression isn't an illness. It's just like a human condition. It's, it's a natural sort of response to almost one of the things being the environment. It's yeah. very difficult being a kid in our society and the expectations that are, I, I imagine, you know, children are subject to growing up mm -hmm. And providing guidance on how to moderate that, you know, mm -hmm. but having to just prescribe somebody, especially children with SSRIs, that's, that's crazy. Well, and, and I might circle back to kind of um, how kind of like BPD symptoms grow in somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Is So what you're describing, right, is, um, and, and this isn't like, say what you will about prescribing SSRIs to, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, um, but you might be giving that stigma. Right. And if you don't have somebody kind of actively working on this, the stigma that, hey, you know, 10 year old, you have depression or you have anxiety, you have this illness. Um, it, we got a classification for you. You fit in this great box. Yeah. You know, um, you're telling that person, right, that there's something wrong with you, right? right, that there's something wrong with your thinking. And maybe the only way to fix it is with this with this medication. Right. OK. And so. I think that's, you're invalidating maybe the child's experience. Maybe you just needed to talk to somebody. Right. Maybe you just needed to get out of this rut. Maybe you right. just needed to get out of his room, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe you just needed to put down the video games. You know, right. I, I'm, it's rarely that simple. But, but that's kind of the invalidation, right? And so 
so when we're invalidated, when we're young, right? Like you're told, um, well, you're really happy about something and you want to hug, right? And, and your dad tells you, you know, there's nothing to be happy about. You still got two, you know, two answers wrong, you right. know, shut up and study, you know, right. or you're really sad. You skid your knee, right? Mm-hmm. And an adult tells you, it, you're fine, you know, get over it. Right. Mm. And so both ends of the spectrum, right. You're told that your feelings are not valid. Right. right. And I'm not advocating for helicopter parenting here. Right. right. Just the validation that your experience, your experience as this child is real. Right. Mm. Okay. And so that doesn't just happen, you know, in a, in a bubble. Right. It's like that if you maybe lived with a very invalidating parent, you were told daily, maybe, you know, maybe hourly, how wrong your experience was in the world. Okay. So now you're growing up and you you have no idea what you're feeling. You have no idea kind of what your emotions are, you know, in a lot of ways. That's that not developing a sense, not developing a sense of self, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, Or just not properly able to identify when you're sad, when you're mad, when you're happy, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're lonely, when you're hungry, mm-hmm. you know, like you've, you've been told these experiences that you're having yeah. are invalid. Right. So, so now, you know, you're 20, 30 years old and you've had um, no idea kind of how to identify these things or even label them. So mm-hmm. you definitely don't, maybe not definitely, but you definitely have trouble, more trouble um, understanding what to do with them. Right. right? And that yeah. might come out as like a lack of empathy for other people too. And I can see how yeah. like narcissism or borderline personality sort of would go into that because if you don't have a frame of reference as to mm-hmm. how you're impacting somebody else emotionally, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes off as this sort of like, well, I obviously don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, that is really, really interesting. It, it just invalidation, I think, is. Um, it, it, I'll, I'll never forget. I had a teacher uh, at Pepperdine that I think it was our child development class, and I think it was either at the first day of class or the last day of class. And mm-hmm. she said, "You know, if you only take away one thing from this class, if you throw out everything you learned this mm-hmm. whole semester, just remember to validate your child. Right. You know, just tell them." I hear you, you know, and that's all you have to do. And, and the same goes for your partner. Mm -hmm. Same goes for your mom. The same goes for your dad. Like, I I mean, and I think that's again, like validating somebody is, is reducing judgment, is Mm -hmm. adding compassion. You know, it's a, it's a myriad of, of it's, it's giving somebody, um, it's someone just like validating their experience. Right. Right. You're just, and I look at it from like the energetic perspective too. Like any correspondence that you have with another human being is an exchange of energy, right? At the even like totally. quantum level. Yep. So even when you're speaking, that mm-hmm. energy with somebody that is ready to reciprocate that, it sort of has this nice flow where it's just evenly distributed amongst people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that same sort of thing when it comes to children, how they respond to their child. It's like it's almost like the 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 mind and the spirit's way of saying like I exist and the other person saying, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. We, we really, really yeah. need that. And that, that's, I guess at the core of the, what that is, is that's basically showing love to somebody. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. You know, or even on the inverse, whenever you're about to have a tough conversation with someone, right? Like 
your heart rate's elevated, you're feeling a little bit anxious and a little bit nervous about maybe some of the things that you're about to impart on that person. And they're feeling that energy too. And that's what you're getting back from them because they're feeling your energy and your anxiety. And oftentimes, if you don't calm yourself before those conversations, that those conversations don't go well. You know, so you have to be really aware of your feelings on a topic and calm yourself before you're imparting that in that energy on someone else. Absolutely. And it's just, it's just the same too, is when that energy is, is, is flowing between two people. And we always hear that old, that old thing about like energy getting stuck, energy getting stuck is in somebody is not willing to receive whatever message that that is. And that mm-hmm. becomes, I guess it, I imagine it goes into this sort of toxic realm of behavior between two people where one person is putting in work and the other one isn't. One person is doing the talking where the other one isn't. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does call for a, a, a large amount of accountability and responsibility between two people to really hear and listen. And it's almost like what we do when we, like when you're kids between a, a child and a parent, it's like they want the validation. Well, we want validation as adults with our partners too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, all of the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, do I, does it, how's this shirt look? Is this shirt look good? <laughs> or how was good. My, you look good. How was my cooking, you know, or, or, you know, how did my voice sound when I was singing? It's like yeah. various levels of that. Yeah. You know, we want to do a good job while at work. Well, the boss is there to validate you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. I mean, it, 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 it spreads all across the spectrum of human interaction. It's like, even though it's, it's something that's tied to, okay, maybe a professional work at the end of the day, it's like, I exist. Yes, you exist. I love you. Yeah. Yes, you love me. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe one last thing I'll add, like, I think it's important to understand how different our experiences are yeah. of one another. And I, I heard this great uh, metaphor or analogy or something from, um, I don't I forget who it was, um, but myself, like I'm colorblind. Okay. I am like, I have, I have trouble seeing Jen knows this. Yeah. Right, well. You're colorblind. It, yeah. yeah. What yeah. color is my shirt? Uh, well, I wear a lot of blacks and <laughs> Black and denim. That's that that's my so that's my closet, right? Yeah. Like, um, I told him that told me this was purple. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I told you. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. I said purple is the color of royalty, and our friend selected that shirt for him. And wow. he's a very um, fancy kind of guy in that way. Yeah. So I'm like, of course, he picked the purple one, right? That's awesome. Well, well, it's like. I had to ask somebody, right? Mm. Like, is this good? You know, kind of a thing. Does this match? He used to always ask me, does this match? And I'm like, no, man, that doesn't match at all. (laughs) (laughs) But but just that little example shows you how differently I truly perceive this world from you. Right. 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 Like my reality, just in that, like those couple cones or rods or whatever they are, like that changes my whole damn perception of this whole world. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So now like let's factor in like that. I was raised in a Catholic upbringing and you were raised in, um, I don't know. What what was your spiritual upbringing? I was Christian. Christian. Okay. Um, where'd you grow up? Cypress, California. Uh, well, I guess maybe we're closer. Yeah. Uh, Garden Grove. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I didn't know these things about you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you start to see, like, as you kind of look at, like, the different ways that we were raised with different parents and right. uh, with different school systems and different belief systems and different values, right? And then, you know, throw in 
biological differences, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the main biological differences between a male and a female, right. you know, like, okay. And, and now we're, we're like light years away from the whole colorblind difference. Right. And yeah. now we've added in so many different ways that we perceive reality, you right. know, and we make decisions. Right. And so the reason I bring that up is because I think it's important to remember those things, right. That right. like, when, when you're trying to validate somebody, because I think we, we so quickly get into this, um, my way, or, or I hear this all the time. What were they thinking? You know, like, <laughs> right. what, what the fuck were they thinking? Right. And it's like something different. Yeah. Like they were thinking something differently from you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And respect that. It, yeah. it might not have been what you were thinking right. at all. Yeah. And so when we get in this dance, like with our partners, right. And like, the fuck were they thinking and it's just something totally different but they were doing probably the best they could with what they had and i think that's another thing i i it's kind of a dbt like uh, main tenant kind of that that we're all kind of doing the best with what we have Um, and i think when we when we look at other people from that lens you know that because i do believe that like even you know even when you get to like some real um, questionable behavior, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I still like to look at that person as like, you know, I bet they're still doing the best with what they've got, you know? So Maybe, yeah. Various levels of like compassion, right? I always, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day and relationships like really are a miracle because you have two people, <laughs> oh, yeah. just the wow. fact that they even exist, right? Yep. I know we largely take them, uh, take, take them for granted, but I'm 35 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. And say I meet somebody else that is maybe around that age, 30 or 35 years old. This person spent 30 plus years of their life without me in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Various, yeah. various levels of learning and experience. All those and differences all we those just talked about. Right? All those yeah. differences mm-hmm. that you just talked about. And I wasn't a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get two different people that have two different journeys, I think it's really important, just like you said, to just really be compassionate and yeah. understanding and, and practice those things like compromise and meeting in the middle because to expect that this person coming into your life is just going to get you huh. yeah, like that. And there's so many things you don't know about them, right? Because right. you only know what they share. Right. And there's a lot of things that people don't share with their partners for fear of judgment, right? Yeah. And At least then, for, not long, mm-hmm. for not a long time. Right, yeah. right. And then you yeah. slowly, if you're dating someone for a couple of years, you slowly, un, you know, peel out the onion and get to the deep layers and you're like, oh, that's why you're the way yeah. you are. <laughs> Shit, I wish I would have known that like two years ago. Yeah. 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 I may or may not be here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and that's why communication is so key. But even then, right, like even when we two years down the road hear that story, it, it, we still might have no any or like we still might not have any understanding yeah. as to like why they still did something a certain way or, mm. you know, just for us to like make assumptions as to like yeah. what that person's doing is um, can sometimes it, it, it's best to just not validate make the, the experience and, and understand maybe like why they're. why they're thinking that way or something like that. So if you had one thing to impart on our listeners about COVID relationships, one pearl of wisdom that you could give us about how to get through these times and, and help salvage our relationships and um, maybe provide some kind of like introspection on ourselves. What would that be? I think, 
putting all of that together, right? And, and I think I might have talked to you guys a bit about this before. Um, this compassion, mm-hmm. um, having some understanding, having some validation, yeah. right? And and allowing for acceptance, right? Like I think this concept of like radical acceptance or like truly like accepting um, and, and I have to differentiate always like acceptance is not approval. Um, but I think like when we are able to accept our partner or cause it's not even just our partner that we're dealing with in this quarantine that we might be stuck in a home with, right. right it might right. be a roommate, a friend. Uh, you friend, know, it might be yeah. your parents. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, and, and so equally for like the parent with the teenager or the husband with the wife, you know, I think it's, it's that compassion. It's that acceptance Mm. that like, you know, our, our world got turned upside down. Okay. Our coping mechanisms got thrown out the window, you know, until what this week you couldn't go to the gym. And, and even if you could now, and even if you know, you can't, it's still scary for a lot of people. Right. Right. And, and so just how I was talking about, like how we all have a very different experience, a very yeah. different reality. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's allowing, um, it's giving our partner that, uh, I, I guess, not opportunity, but giving, giving them that um, freedom. Um, that yeah. space. Like that acceptance. space. Yeah, giving them that space yeah. um, to that they're not going to react. You know, this is kind of like a trauma for the world right. in a sense, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's shaking everything up. Right. Yeah. And we all respond to traumas differently, right. you know? And so to think again, that we are going to respond that you and your partner are going to respond to this and have the same fears and have the same worries, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is doing both of you a disservice. Right. right. You know, and I think instead, if you, you know, or we understood, you know, to have better compassion on ourselves that, you know what, we're just trying to figure this out. Like mm-hmm. yeah. who the fuck knows what's kind of going on next. Right? Right. right. And, and so if we give them that opportunity, that space that they're just trying to figure this out too, you right. know, I mean, we're, we're all just, yeah none of us are the experts here, you know, yeah. and, and we've listened the to the experts. Aren't the experts. We've right? listened to the experts I mean, and who knows, you know, we've heard 10 different things. Right. Yeah. You know, it, just, it brings me back to that Ram Dass quote where we're all just walking each other home, man. Amen. <laughs> you know, Amen. Amen. We're all just doing Amen. the best that I can. Yeah. We're just the, the, the collective force of God moderating through our universe. And just like you said, we all have a completely different role to play, but it all contributes to the whole. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ryan, it's been amazing, amazing having you as a guest. Thank you. We definitely want to have you. you back. And you. Uh, we have uh, just some information to share. Uh, Ryan can actually be found on social media. You can find him at Ryan W. Heapy. That's H-E-A-P-Y. You can kind of keep up to date on his work. He speaks. He's a, He's been a speaker at various different other events, but they can find probably a lot of your work on there too. Yep. And um, if you guys have any questions about the the podcast, you can reach us at www.divine-nobodies.com. This is going to be on YouTube, where it's also going to be available on iTunes, so you guys will be able to download it. Did you give my website a shout out there? In your I, website? I uh, Go ahead. www.ryanheapy.com, and that's R-Y-A-N-H-E-A-P-Y. Ryan, 
Thank you so much. Namaste. Thank you guys. I love you so much. Love you. Thanks for coming by.